Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me for Teens and for Parents of Teens. I'm Josh Downs and today's episode is episode 40. We're going to be taking a look at the book of Galatians with the theme, Walk in the Spirit. Now as I went over the material this week, I was reminded of an experience that I had back when I was a kid and a story that I often tell to illustrate a few different principles. It was back when I, I can't remember exactly how old, I must have been six or seven, five or six, right around there. And I was at a store shopping with my mom, it was a grocery store, I think it was Reams back in the day. And back then they had this little section of penny candies, which now I think they're all probably about at least a quarter, if not more. But uh, they used to be a penny uh, to, to five cents, depending on the, the type of candy. And if I was good with my mom while I was shopping, she'd always take me over to that section and let me pick out a couple treats. Well, on that particular shopping occasion, I was not good. But that did not stop me from wanting some treats. But my mom was holding firm in not getting them for me because, uh, like I said, I just wasn't that good. Well, as I walked past that section, looking longingly at those candies, there was one candy in particular that I had had my eye on for quite some time that I had wanted to try. It was kind of a Neapolitan flavored taffy, something that at least in that moment I really wanted. And as I looked at that, I swear that I heard a voice yell out to me from that candy, take me. I don't know where it came from, but it just said, take me. And so really without thinking much about it, I picked it up looked at it closely, and then the voice said, put me in your pocket. And I don't know where again that voice came from, but again, I heard that voice just say, put it in your pocket. And uh, I looked over to make sure my mom wasn't looking, and she wasn't, and I put it in my pocket. I walked out of that store thinking that I had committed the crime of the century in stealing that piece of candy, but yet the next thing that I heard it say to me when I was in the car driving home was, take me out of your pocket, unwrap me and eat me. And I, I don't know where that voice was coming from, but I swear that's what was it was basically calling me to do. I remember taking that piece of candy out, having second thoughts about it, but just did not have the willpower to say no to that piece of candy. And so I did. I unwrapped it and uh, put it in my, my mouth and started to chew on it. It was at that point that I noticed my mom looking at me in the rearview mirror. <laughs> and I think she put two and two together. She pulled the car over on the side of the road, said, what are you eating? And it was then that I had to confess as to what I had done. And when she asked me, why did you do that? I knew I had to think of something quick. And I remembered all those voices that were coming into my head. And I told her, um, mom... It was the devil. The devil made me do it, Mom. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was the devil. And she said, oh, really? So the devil made you pick that piece of candy up, put it in your pocket, walk out the store with it, take it out of your pocket in the car, unwrap it, and then put it in your mouth? You telling me that the devil made you do all that? Well, I didn't have a good answer for that. She proceeded to teach me a very important principle that basically the devil doesn't have power over us. Yes, temptation is strong and powerful, but in the end, 
The power lies with us. And that's a part of the uh, theme I think that you'll see throughout this week's study, especially as we go over the background here of these chapters, which is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ offers freedom from spiritual bondage, but sometimes people who have experienced the freedom of the gospel turn away from it and desire again to be in bondage. This is what some Galatian saints were doing. They were turning away from the liberty that Christ had offered them. Paul's epistle to the Galatians then was an urgent call to come back to the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. This call is one we also need to hear and heed because while circumstances change, the struggle between freedom and bondage is constant. As Paul taught, it's not enough to be called unto liberty. We must also stand fast in it by relying on Christ. I know, as I mentioned in a previous episode, it can be common for some people to think that the gospel is very restrictive. I think at that moment I probably would have as well. It didn't allow me to just eat the candy that I wanted when I wanted it. But the truth is, had I continued to go down that path, it would have eventually taken away my freedom through consequence and being caught. And eventually it may have led to stealing bigger things, and which could have led to bigger consequences, being arrested, and even put into jail. The, the loss of liberty is what we will always find when we go against Christ, when we go against his gospel and his commandments. And freedom is what we'll find when we follow it. Now, it doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes. That's a part of growing up. And that was a lesson that I had to learn in that moment and that I've learned at several other moments throughout my life. I should probably mention that my mom made sure to take me back to that store and, and I had to go in there and, and confess to what I had done, apologize for it, pay for it, and, uh, and then promise to both them and her that I would never do it again. It was definitely a life lesson that uh, taught me quite a bit. And in this episode, all throughout this chapter, this is really what Paul is trying to do. They knew better. The Galatian saints had learned some things. They had had some experiences. They had made some great progress in their life, in their testimony, in their faith, and were moving closer to Christ. Yet, for various reasons, they had begun to return to some of the old habits and patterns that were moving them further away from Christ and from freedom instead of closer to Him. So the principles that we're going to take a look at this week are really ones that are going to go along with that theme and that are found all throughout this chapter you will find as you study it yourself. But the first one that I want to take a look at is in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, where Paul begins to kind of point out and reference that he's noticed that they have been moving backwards instead of forwards. They've been returning to old things instead of moving forward to the, the new life that they had committed to live through Christ. In chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, Paul writes, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, the principle I want to share with you today and have you kind of consider and take a look at is why this happens. Because it didn't just happen back then. It happens today all the time. And it happens because of this reason. When I was in the mission field, young people, I remember teaching a first discussion and often it would go so well. It would just be amazing and there would be an amazing experience and spirit there. The people would just love it and and we would set an appointment for the, the second discussion. So excited to come back. They were excited to have us come back. Yet so often we would show up and they weren't there 
or we'd call them and they wouldn't answer. And no matter how hard we tried, we would not be able to get in touch with them. Something had happened between that first discussion and that second discussion. And the answer is the devil. The answer is Satan. Although he didn't make it happen, he certainly did his best to keep it from happening. It happened so much to the point where after teaching a first discussion, not only would we bear our testimony of everything that we had taught, we would also take the opportunity to bear our testimony about Satan and how real he is and how you can actually expect there to be some kind of an effort, some kind of a force, an element that will come at you to keep you from continuing to have these kinds of experiences and learning about what we're here to teach you about in the gospel of Christ. And once we did that, things began to change because then our investigators began to recognize what was coming at them and when. And it would happen so often we'd go back and for a second discussion and they would say, hey, you'll never guess what happened. Almost as soon as you left, a family member called me out of the blue that I hadn't talked to forever. And when they found out I was taking discussions, they went off about how bad and evil it was that I shouldn't do it. Or my preacher from an old church that I hadn't been to a long time just happened to come by and found out that I was taking discussions and he had all things to say about it. Or something happened at work that almost kept me from missing the appointment or whatever it was. They began to recognize that there was some kind of unseen force that was keeping them from trying to learn more about the gospel. And it helped propel them forward when they could see it for what it was. And that's one of the things I want to make sure that you understand when it comes to having experiences in the gospel. You can always expect there to be resistance and opposition almost immediately afterwards. And the principle is taught this way in a physical sense in the war chapters in the Book of Mormon. In Alma chapter 56 verse 29, this is a great cross-reference scripture to write in there in, in the book of Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 and 7. While these wars are being waged, it's pointed out that the Lamanites are doing this. Again, in Alma chapter 56, verse 29, it reads, And the Lamanites thus seen our forces increase daily, and provisions arrive for our support. They began to be fearful and began to sally forth, if it were possible, to put an end to our receiving provisions and strength. The reason that the war chapters are in the Book of Mormon is because there's still a war going on. And the parallels that exist between that physical war and the spiritual war that we are engaged in are very real and very prevalent. And as is pointed out here, the Lamanites, whenever they saw any kind of support being received by the Nephite army, uh, when they saw their forces being increased daily, they began to be fearful. And what did they do? They began to, to sally forth or to rally, if it were possible, to put an end to them receiving those provisions and strength. And that's exactly what happens to us. Young people, you've got to understand this principle. Whenever you try to do anything good or you start to move down that path, Satan will step up his efforts tenfold against you. He does not want to see you get any stronger or advance any further than what you are. The prophet Joseph taught it this way, that the nearer a person approaches the Lord, a greater power will be manifest by the adversary to prevent the accomplishments of his purposes. Moses in the Pearl of Great Price was a great example of this. He had this incredible experience with God at the very beginning where God showed him who God was, helped Moses to understand that he was his son, that he had a work for him to do, this incredible spiritual experience. And who comes knocking at the door almost immediately after? Satan. I don't even think he can help it. This is just what he does. And a big part to being able to defeat him is 
is by detecting him. Because one of the things that he will always try to do is appear in disguise. He is the master of imitation, the great imitator, as President Faust refers to him as. In a talk that President Faust gave years ago, he said this about these methods that Satan uses against us. He said, I think we will witness increasing evidence of Satan's power as the kingdom of God grows stronger. I believe Satan's ever-expanding efforts are some proof of the truthfulness of this work. In the future, the opposition will be both more subtle and more open. It will be masked in greater sophistication and cunning, but it will also be more blatant. We will need greater spirituality to perceive all of the forms of evil and greater strength to resist it. Who has not heard and felt the enticings of the devil, he said. His voice often sounds so reasonable and his message so easily to justify. It is an enticing, intriguing voice with dulcet tones. It is neither hard nor discordant. No one would listen to Satan's voice if it sounded harsh or mean. If the devil's voice were unpleasant, it would not entice people to listen to it. The voice that was calling to me to eat that candy was not harsh or scary or mean. It was very subtle, very kind, very just matter of fact. Go ahead, take me. It's fine. Open me and put me in your mouth. It'll, it'll be just fine. Shakespeare wrote, The prince of darkness is a gentleman, and the devil can cite scripture for his purpose. As the great deceiver, Lucifer has marvelous powers of deception. As Paul said to the Corinthians, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Some of Satan's most appealing lines are things like, Everyone does it. I know you've heard these before. If it doesn't hurt anybody else, then it's alright. If you feel alright about it, it's okay. Or it's the in thing to do. These subtle entreaties make Satan the great imitator, the master deceiver, the arch counterfeiter, and the great forger. C.S. Lewis gave us a keen insight into devilish tactics. In a fictional letter, the master devil Screwtape instructs the apprentice, Devil Wormwood, who is in training to become a more experienced devil. And I love this excerpt from this book. He says, You will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. And isn't that just how Satan works so quietly, softly, subtly? C.S. Lewis also wrote, A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. The key point here, young people, is to remember that one, he will always show up anytime you decide or begin to try or do something good. He does not want you to progress, and so you can always plan on a fight. You set a goal to read your scriptures one night and read them that night, just watch what happens. You set a goal, to, a goal to go to the temple, just watch what happens. Watch for him because in many ways it can work against him. He can give us further evidence that we are on the right path and that this is true when you experience that power of opposition for yourself. 
But remember that you have the power to resist him. You have power over him. Unlike my mistaken decree, the devil made me do it, Satan does not have power over us. As the prophet Joseph taught, all beings who have bodies have power over those who do not. The devil has no power over us only as we permit him. The moment we revolt at anything which comes from God, the devil takes power. Elder Holland taught this, which is a great way to end this principle. He said, I would say to all who wish for more faith, in moments of fear or doubt or troubling times, hold the ground you already won, even if that ground is limited. Then in referencing some stories of affliction and trial of a young man and his parents, he said, in the growth we all have to experience immortality, the spiritual equivalent of this boy's affliction or his, this parent's desperation is going to come to all of us. When those moments come and issues surface, the resolution of which is not immediately forthcoming, hold fast to what you already know and stand strong until additional knowledge comes. It was of this very incident, this specific miracle, that Jesus said, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. The size of your faith or the degree of your knowledge is not the issue. It is the integrity that you demonstrate toward the faith you do have and the truth you already know. This is the principle that I'd have you take away from these verses. To be prepared for a fight anytime you decide to do something better or to be better or do anything good, Satan will always show up. And when we can expect him, when we can look for him, we can be ready for him. And we can hold the ground that we have. And unlike many of the saints in Galatia, we won't give up that ground. We won't return to former things. We'll be able to push through it and keep going and move forward towards Christ. Now, a couple key questions for you to consider about this principle. Number one might be, why do you think Satan is so quick to attack after we've done something good or after something good has happened to us? What's his intent? What's his real purpose behind it and attacking especially so quickly? Number two, what ways have you felt him attack you already after experiencing something good in your life? And how has he attacked you, even when you've just wanted to be better? And maybe from what we've gone over here and from your own personal experience, why is he referred to as the great imitator? And how is it that he tries to imitate and confuse things that are good? And how can you best detect him? How can you avoid being deceived by him? And how have you seen others give in to his deceptions, mistaking evil for good and good for evil? How can you better be prepared for Satan when he comes after having experiences with God? And lastly, how can you avoid losing the ground that you have already won with your faith and with your testimony? Now, principle two kind of goes along with this a little bit. We're going in chapter five, verses 16 through 17. So take a second and turn there. In these verses, Paul begins to give the answer about how to avoid falling backwards or giving in to Satan's deceptions or his temptations. In chapter 5, verses 16 through 17, Paul writes, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And in these verses, he is referencing 
the war that is going on inside each and every one of you, the war that's going on inside me between the flesh and between the spirit, between things that I want that are physical and things that I want that are spiritual. And I know that you know this war, you know this fight, you've felt it, you've experienced it, and you probably are right now. In fact, one of the points I think it is strongest in life is during our teenage years. Because Satan knows if he can get you while you're young, it is going to just mess up the whole rest of your life. And so I believe he purposefully targets you at a young age to try to get you while you're young. And here Paul is giving counsel about how to win that war at any point in time in your life, but especially when you're young. And the key is right there at the beginning when he says, walk in the Spirit. In other words, live your life in such a way that the Spirit can be with you and remain with you. And that doesn't mean it's going to all the time. Nobody lives a perfect life. But that implies that when we make mistakes, we repent as quickly as we can so that we can get the Spirit back. I know that I'm a better person when the Spirit is with me. I remember a point in time back when I was your age where I was doing some things that I shouldn't have been doing. I was looking at things I shouldn't be looking at. I was doing things that were offensive to the Spirit. And as a result, I started to become a more angry person. I started to have less patience with my family, with my brothers and sisters, even with my friends. I started to feel worse about myself, not better. The Spirit was being slowly sucked out of my life by those things that I was engaging in. And as a result, I was more angry. I was more bitter. I was less patient, less kind, and just more unhappy. It took my father pointing out my mood to begin to get me to look inside and see what was causing me to be like that. He said on one occasion, boy, you've just been angry a lot lately. What's going on? Of course, I blew it off, but as I started to look inside, I was able to make the connection. It was because of certain things I was doing, the certain type of music I was listening to. All those things were just driving the Spirit out of my life. God's commandments are meant to protect us from these spiritual draining actions and choices and help us to keep the Spirit more fully in our lives so that we can make better choices and decisions and be more patient and kind and happy. President Benson once taught that one of Satan's most frequent used deceptions is the notion that the commandments of God are meant to restrict freedom and limit happiness. And again, he said, young people especially sometimes feel that the standards of the Lord are like fences and chains blocking them from those activities that seem most enjoyable in life. But exactly the opposite is true. The gospel plan is the plan by which men are brought to a fullness of joy. This is the first concept, he said, I wish to stress. The gospel principles are the steps and guidelines that will help us find true happiness and joy. He points out a story in the Book of Mormon that I love as well that teaches a great principle about what it means to walk in the Spirit. When he said, uh, when King Benjamin finished his remarkable address in the land of Zarahemla, the people all cried with one voice that they believed his words and they knew of a surety that his promises of redemption were true because, and this is the key, said they, the Spirit of the Lord omnipotent has wrought a mighty change in us or in our hearts that we have no more disposition to do evil but to do good continually. Because they had the Spirit of the Lord with them, because they experienced something spiritual, it drove out the darkness in their life. It, it caused them to lose even the desire for sin. 
And so they knew that it was true. And the question I would then ask is, do you think that that would always be the case? Because they had this incredible spiritual experience that they would never desire evil again? I wish it worked that way, but it doesn't. In that moment, they didn't desire the things of the world or, or that which was evil because the Spirit was just with them. But what about the next day or the day after or next week or the next month? Although that was a great moment for them, that moment needed to continue to happen again and again with them as it does with us. The scriptures record that really from the beginning of time, from the moment we're born into this fallen world, that sin begins to grow and is conceived in our hearts. It is normal and it's a part of life's experience to desire things that aren't right, that aren't good for us. But it's the spirit that causes us to lose the desire for them and for sin in general and to eventually overcome those parts of us that we are at war with. The key is to learn to walk in the Spirit, to do those things that will help us to have the Spirit as much as possible. That's what will change you. That's what will change me. That's what will change the world. A couple questions for you to consider about this principle is, number one, how have you felt personally this war taking place inside of you? What weaknesses have you felt drawn to because of the flesh? How have you felt that loss of spirit in you because of giving in to those kinds of things, those temptations? How have you felt an increase in the spirit by resisting them and filling your life with good things, things that invite the spirit? How or when have you experienced a loss for sin by experiencing an increase of the spirit? When have you had moments like the one King Benjamin's people had? Why isn't it enough to feel the Spirit just once or on a rare occasion? Do you remember what President Nielsen said about not being able to survive in the coming days without an increase of the Spirit? How does that relate to all of this? And lastly, what can you do right now, beginning today, to increase the flow of the Spirit in your life? Now, so far we've taken a look at how Satan attacks and when, so that we can be on guard and ready for it. We've taken a look at the importance of making sure that the Spirit is with us to help us to overcome those attacks and not fall back into bad patterns or unhealthy patterns that we've maybe been in in the past. And for this last principle, I want to focus on how we can tell when the Spirit is with us so we can recognize it a little bit better. We can see the signs when we're moving closer to God as opposed to maybe when we're moving further away from him and catch ourselves before we go too far. That in a lot of ways, I think, is what Paul is, is teaching the saints in Galatia here with this these particular verses in chapter 5, verses 19 through 25. I want to end with this principle today. So take a second, turn there again, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 25. Now, speaking of, again, this war between the flesh and the spirit that is in all of us, he says this in verse, starting in verse um, 19. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And then he goes on and lists all the different ways that we can recognize when we're caught up in the things of the flesh. He says adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, Laviciousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, 
heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it is worth going through all of that list and looking at those and trying to understand and contemplate those things that aren't listed in this list, but that are associated with those things or on the same path as those things. As an example, a person may not be involved directly with adultery or fornication, but are you looking at those kinds of acts? Are you thinking of those kinds of things? If you are, well, you're moving in that direction and you're moving towards the things of the flesh as opposed to things of the spirit. Or you may not be full-blown in hatred and wrath, but are you getting angry a little bit more than what you ought? Then you might be, again, well on the path towards some of these other things. Certainly things that are taking you away from the Spirit instead of bringing you closer to it. But then Paul gives us what is referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. And this is a key missionary verse, young people, that you'll need to, to learn and to memorize at some point when you go on missions. Verse 22 but the fruit of the Spirit is, I want you to mark each of these, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And again, I'm sure there are a lot of things that are not on this list, but that are closely associated with these things. These are the kinds of things you want to look for in yourself, in others, to best tell whether or not you have the Spirit, whether or not you are walking in the Spirit. A person that is walking in the Spirit will have a greater abundance of love, of joy, of peace in troubled times, will be long-suffering, which is patient. That's one of the greatest signs of the Spirit is patience. Gentleness, right? Even when it comes to correcting somebody, we correct somebody out of a sense of love and kindness, and there's a gentleness to it as opposed to harshness and cruelness and meanness. There's goodness, there's faith, there's meekness, it's humility. There's temperance or a balance to them. And then in verse 24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. At some point in time, there will be a final outcome of this war that is being fought within each and every one of us. Back when I was teaching seminary, one of the little object lessons I loved to do with my students when I would teach them a little bit about this war and this struggle that we are all going through, and also to illustrate how much we like to try to, to stay in the middle. We like to try to keep one foot in the world and one foot in Christ, in the Spirit, in the Gospel, in the Church. Well, what I would do is ask for a, a student to, to be brave enough to come up front. And on the front of the room, I would have two desks uh, next to each other, kind of connected with one desk, a sign that was hanging from it saying the world, and another sign uh, on the other desk that uh, said the, the Gospel. And I'd ask a student, uh, whoever volunteered and was brave enough to stand on top of those desks and to keep one foot on one desk representative of the world and the other foot on the other desk representative of the church and the gospel. And then I asked for a couple other volunteers and I had to make sure I chose them carefully because what I asked them to do is to come up front and slowly begin to pull those desks apart. I knew the wrong teenagers would be tempted to pull those desks apart as quickly as possible, which could lead to you know, some, some bad things. 
but what I didn't, when I had them pull them apart slowly, it was interesting to watch the student who volunteered to be on top of those desks, their expression as they recognized their feet were growing further and further apart. And they came to the realization that at some point, they're going to have to make a choice. They're going to have to make a decision. Do I lean over and go both feet into the world or do I lean over and go both feet into the gospel and the church? Obviously, being in seminary class, they always chose the church. And I would use that as kind of analogy to help them to understand as the world grows further apart from the gospel and from the church, which it is, and it is continuing to, to, at some point, a decision, a choice is going to have to be made. God will not allow us to remain in neutral ground or, or both or one foot in one, you know, Babylon and the world and another foot in, in the gospel and, and the church. He just won't allow that to happen. Over time, you and I will get to a point where we will need to choose and there will be a final outcome in this battle that is being waged inside of us. And here in these verses, Paul is trying to help us to recognize when we are moving in the right direction, when we are beginning to plant our feet a little bit more firmly in the gospel and in Christ. At the beginning of a, a conference for new mission presidents, President Benson shared that the following counsel as it relates to having the Spirit and keeping the Spirit with us. He said, I have said so many times, my brethren, that the Spirit is the most important single element in this work. With the Spirit and magnifying your call, you can do miracles for the Lord in the mission field. Without the Spirit, you will never succeed regardless of your talent and ability. He went on to say that you'll re receive excellent instruction in the next three days. Handbooks will be distributed, responsibilities, procedures will be discussed, policies will be analyzed, and all this will be most helpful to you. But the greatest help you will ever receive as a mission president will not be from handbooks or manuals. Your greatest help will come from the Lord himself. As you supplicate and plead with him in humble prayer, as you are driven to your knees again and again, asking him for divine help in administering your mission, you will feel the Spirit. You will get your answer from above. Your mission will prosper spiritually because of your dependence and your reliance on him. You guys, that is the message of this entire section, this entire book, really, of Galatians is to keep the Spirit with you. These members were beginning to backslide, as the term is, or to, to just return to bad habits and old patterns. And the key for them to be able to avoid that was the Spirit. The key for them to be able to resist the attacks that Satan was now engaged upon them was the Spirit. And this is true for all of us. The number one thing that will help us to win this war against the flesh and the world is the Spirit. President Benson went on to, to say the most important thing in our lives is the Spirit. I have always felt that. We must remain open and sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Ghost in all aspects of our lives. These promptings most often come when we're not under the pressure of appointments and when we're not caught up in the worries of day-to-day -day life. Spiritually being in tune with the Spirit of the Lord is the greatest need we all have. We should strive for the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost all the days of our lives. When we have the Spirit, we will love to serve. We will love the Lord and we will love those with whom we serve and those whom we serve. In fact, several years after Joseph Smith was martyred, as many of you probably know, he appeared to the present Brigham Young 
to give him this message. And I often thought of all the things that the prophet could have brought back to this earth after his experience and being away from it. It was this. He told Brother Brigham, tell the people to be humble and faithful and to be sure to keep the spirit of the Lord and it will lead them right. Be careful and not turn away the still small voice. It will teach you what to do and where to go. It will yield the fruits of the kingdom. Tell the brethren to keep their hearts open to conviction so that when the Holy Ghost comes to them, their hearts will be ready to receive it. Now, in the concluding verses, really, of this book, chapter 6, verses 6, uh, sorry, 7 through 9, Paul concludes his letter to the saints in Galatia with this counsel. Starting in verse 7, he says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due time, or sorry, in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. What Paul is referring to here and reminding us of is what's called the law of the harvest. And President Packer gave a wonderful analogy of what the law of the harvest is, especially as it relates to the Lord. When he said in a parable that he gave, there were two farmers once who had adjoining fields. The one never worked on his field on Sunday, and his neighbor used to chide him about it. He said, your crops aren't doing as well as mine. Why don't you work on Sunday? The other farmer said, well, I want to do what the Lord said. I want to gain the blessings of the Lord. Then, one October day, they stood at a fence line. The neighbor said, Just look at it. Look at my field. It is beautiful. The grain is tall. The heads are full of wheat. And your field shows little signs of neglect. You haven't tended yours as well as I've tended mine. Look at my harvest compared to yours. What do you say now about the blessings you thought you were earning? To which the Sabbath-keeping farmer thought for a few minutes and said, I love this line. The Lord doesn't balance his books in October. (laughs) He had a greater vision for himself beyond just this life. And young people, that's one of the things that I hope that you can develop at an early age. I hope you can develop the eyes to see the value of doing all of these things, even if there aren't immediate blessings in doing them. I know that sometimes it looks a lot easier to follow the way of the world. But I am telling you from experience, both of myself and of so many others that I've watched go before, that when you follow the world and the works of the flesh, there is always heartache, there is always a loss of liberty and a loss of joy. But when you follow Christ in His gospel and keep the Spirit with you, there is freedom, there is peace, and eventually there will always be joy. It may not always come in the moment, but it will always come. As Elder Holland so powerfully testified at the end of one of his talks, that some blessings come soon, and some come late, and some don't come until heaven, but for those that embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, they come. As someone once said, if we were to be arrested for being Christians, I wonder if there would be enough evidence to convict us. I hope for me there would be. That is my goal. I want to show the world, I want to show others in everything I do every day 
that I am following and a follower of Christ. Now, a couple key questions just to wrap all this up, especially as it relates to the fruits of the Spirit and the law of the harvest. Number one would be, how have you personally experienced the fruits of the Spirit in your life? Can you think of a time? Can you think of a way in which you did? Maybe even look back on that list and ask yourself, which of those fruits are you most in need of right now? Are you in need of greater patience, greater love, greater temperance and balance? Are you in need of of greater goodness, greater gentleness or faith or meekness? If so, then you know what you need to do. Another question, how have you experienced the works of the flesh in your life? Which of those are you struggling with right now? I think there's great power in being able to recognize your weakness. We all have them. We have many of them, right? I think it was President Monson that said the most important commandment to keep is the one that you're struggling with right now. Another question to consider might be, how have you experienced the law of the harvest in your own life? And have you? How have you seen it experienced by others, for good or for bad? Another question, how do you feel President Packer's parable applies to you in your life currently? Or why do you think Heavenly Father doesn't always reward good immediately or allow the full consequences of sin to be felt and experienced immediately either? And how can understanding the law of the harvest motivate you to do good even if you can't see the results right away? And another question, if you were arrested for being Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And if not, or even if there could be, Last question to consider would be, what can you do today to add to that evidence? And I hope that this has been helpful, especially as it relates to learning to walk in the Spirit. As you go through the rest of these chapters and verses, look for those kinds of things that Paul is teaching about how to avoid Satan's temptations and traps and falling back into old patterns and habits, how to better walk in the Spirit and recognize when we are so that we can overcome the things of the flesh and the world and stand firmly planted in the gospel and with Christ. As always, remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. As always, this just has nothing to do with earthly wealth or power or prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life, and He invites us all to come follow me. So let's follow Him better this week, everybody, and become better as we follow Him. Until next week, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.